0: Hey, guys, welcome back to the Chalkline Talk podcast. I'm your co-host, Bo Wills, along with my other co-host, Kenny Malloy. Uh, we are very excited to be back for another episode of the podcast. Um, but before we begin, we wanted to give a shout-out to our resident Cubs fan, Casey Sauter, for uh, pledging on Patreon.com. And you can pledge to us on Patreon.com, going to Patreon.com slash Chalkline Talk. Again, that's patreon.com slash talk. By pledging, you can receive things like exclusive content, um, a coffee mug, a t shirt, a sticker, um, and a chance to introduce the intro on the very Next podcast. So pledge to us at Patreon for a lot of cool rewards and gifts and uh, become a member of the Chalkline Talk family. Um, But on this episode today, we have some cool things that we did. We interviewed two Fangraphs writers. We're pretty much calling this one the Fangraphs episode. Uh, We had Ben Clemens from Fangraphs along with Dan Samborski of Fangraphs. Both of them were awesome to talk to. I mean, you want to talk about guys who are ridiculously smart,
1: Kenny. Yeah, two guys that are absolute geniuses uh you know they work for fan graphs. uh you ain't working for fan if you don't know what your statistics and what you're talking about so these are two awesome guys to have on here
0: yeah that was that was awesome it, those people that wonder what it takes to make it in, in, into the industry um i mean all you gotta do is listen to today to what ben clemens and dan zamborsky were saying two extremely intelligent guys two guys that i know me and kenny Both look up to and want to uh, or kind of aspire to be one day so uh, but it was awesome interviewing them besides that we have our most underrated player segment in a new segment today Uh, a segment called bad contracts Uh, very similar to the bad beats that Scott Van Pelt typically does on ESPN ours is bad contracts so we're going to do a bad contract today Um, and you guys can talk about that Um, but other than that we're going to start off today talking about the labor negotiation and the deal that was just done about a few hours ago with this being recorded on Tuesday night. So Kenny, what do you got?
1: Holy shit, we have baseballs! all I got to say. And uh, I'm going to go back to my typical line, roll the intro.
0: Let's roll that intro.
1: Well, to borrow a phrase from a man I uh, deeply uh, admire, uh, I'd like to pull up a chair.
2: Oh, to the stretch. stretch, stretch. Okay, get on back out there. They
1: look good. You can
3: put I it on mean the beat. Yes. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For well, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball.
1: That was a message from our sponsor anchor, and we got some good news today. We have again, the sport that me and you absolutely love. We have baseball, and holy shit, does it feel good to be able to look forward to watching baseball here in exactly 30 days?
0: I mean, it's baseball, man. What else can you say?, we, got, we have I am baseball
1: so. Ready to have baseball in America, so I don't have to stay up until four o'clock in the morning. Because let me tell you, when I work, it at six o'clock in the morning. Watching those KBO games at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning when they start—that's tough. But you know, the KBO did. It's still gonna do. I mean, um, I love watching the KBO.
0: Those uh, guys are fun.
1: But it is gonna be nice to have baseball again on the greatest country in this world.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to have some some baseball and you know you know honestly what I'm most excited about is that we don't have to talk about the what? labor negotiations anymore.
1: Oh my god, I am so excited that I don't have to listen and see on Twitter that the owners and the union could not come to an agreement now. In what, a week from now, we're going to have pitchers and catchers reporting, and then in, what, is it 11 days from now, we'll have the positionals reporting. So this is going to be awesome.
0: I'm ready. and I think all baseball fans are ready. But uh, let's kind of go over some of the details about what is agreed upon here. So, um, yes, we do have baseball back. We have a 60-game schedule. I don't know if you saw, like, the format of the schedule yet. Kenny, Do you happen to see that?
1: Yeah, I did. It's, all, uh, it's geographical, so we're going to have, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the divisions will, will still play the uh, normal divisional teams, but the uh, interleague play is going to be all teams that are in the same geographic region as you are.
0: Yep, so it's going to be uh, 40 games against your uh, divisional uh, rivals. You'll be playing 10 against each of the four teams, and then you will play a total of 20 games against the remaining five teams of the other division in the same region. So that means AL Central will be playing 20 games against the NL Central teams, vice versa. Um, Same thing with the AL NL West and the AL NL East. Um, it does sound like that they're gonna do they're gonna keep the rivalries having more games. So like a rivalry like the White Sox and Cubs would actually get six games, like Yankees and Mets would get six games. Um so the rest of those uh so it wouldn't be split up like each team um in the other division would get four games apiece. It's gonna be a mix of three, four, and then six against your uh, interleague rival in the other division So um, that's interesting So, that's,
1: so we're going to we're gonna get a little uh, White Sox Brewers battle going this we year We are going
0: to get some White Sox Brewers Have fun getting your ass whooped
1: Oh good luck You know that's actually going to be interesting Because I think the White Sox and Brewers Are in very similar boats I think they're both teams that could boom Or they could both bust I,
0: I don't know a little sneak peek From what Dan Zimborski said earlier White Sox would not shock him to make the and playoffs.
1: The best thing is going to be that the Dodgers are, might win a World Series in a year with an asterisk next to it, and I will love nothing more than that.
0: No, we, are, are, we already know the World Series. We already know, well, we, know that the,
1: we already know that the Tampa Bay Rays are probably going to win the World Series. Yep, that's but the World Series champions. Nothing would make me happier than the Los Angeles Dodgers winning a World Series in a year with an asterisk next to it because they only played 70 or 80 games to win a World Series. Like, this Obviously, is going absolutely awesome.
0: I've lost my – I guess I didn't really had hatred for the Dodgers. I mean, like, growing up, like, Kershaw is the pitcher of our generation. Yasiel Puig was exciting. Um, I mean, Cody Bellinger is going to be one of the guys that defines this next generation. Like, I don't really have a, a hatred for the Dodgers. Um, so see seeing-
1: here's the deal though, growing up in Arizona where we have a bunch of fake Dodgers fans that live in Arizona, I'm five hours away from Los Angeles. So I get all their, I don't even know how to describe their fans. I consider them like second closest to Eagle fans. And we all know that Philadelphia Eagle fans are considered the worst in football. Like that's where I put the Dodgers, man. They are such bandwagon bastards. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I guess I can see seriously. that because they're like the
0: Hollywood team, so everybody just kind of bandwagons yeah. onto them. But that's, I guess, I if you hate the Dodgers for that reason, I guess that kind of explains my hatred for the Cubs in a little bit different way. Just because it yeah. seems like everybody banned, especially in 2016, God, was that bullshit. I mean, nobody yeah. cared about them. And then all of a sudden they were good. They beat the Cardinals in 2015 in the NLDS and everybody was a Cubs fan. They knew three players. Yep. Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Jake Arietta. Uh, no. Well, it's like, you know. Who's a, could like, you please name me Ryan Terrio? Do you know who Ryan Terrio is?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like when we go to school and stuff, and, you know, we have all these Cubs fans that we go to school with, but you say, hey, can you name five other players on the team not named Javier Baez, Chris Bryan, Anthony Rizzo. And or 90% not even of them that.
0: Can. Could you, can you name five players that were on the team from the years 2005 through 2011? They, would, they didn't even have to be on the roster together. Just five players. You, yeah, they probably they, couldn't do they it. They can't. No. Oh, well, I know Derek Lee and Starlin Castro. Those were the only relevant players on your team. You don't have to be a fan to know them. Hell, I know freaking, I don't know, like Kosuke JJ Fukudome. JJ Hardy with the Orioles.
1: Yeah, Kosuke he wasn't, Fukudome. I mean, that guy came over from Japan. It was, he was all right for the Cubs, but if you ask a Cubs fan, hey, did you guys have a guy named Kosuke Fukudome on your team? I guarantee they'd yeah. like, oh, hey, that? you they did. Yeah, oh,
0: hey, do you remember Milton Bradley? Yeah. Oh, yes. hey. Do you remember uh, Darwin Barney? Yes. No, I guarantee they don't. They
1: they. No. probably don't even know Mark Pryor. No, no, they have no idea who that is. Half of them probably don't even know who Carrie Wood is.
0: Okay, they doubt. If they don't know who Carrie Wood is, they're just no. not. They don't even know the sport.
1: Well, so, Carrie Wood, okay, but that's the bandwagon part of it. They became Cubs fans in 2016. Yeah, I
0: know. But, but well, yeah. off the Cubs I talk, mean, we, we don't need to talk about the Cubs anymore.
1: Yeah, but let's get back to this. You know, let's talk about the universal DH, and let's, let's talk about how that's going to also. Them. Oh yeah, you know.
0: before you get in the DH, if you are on the the crowd that says the universal DH is like bad, and you want to see pitchers hit. I don't know like what to ex- how to explain to you that that's one of the dumbest stances that I've heard in years. Now, yes. if you want to say, well that's the way things should be, it's the nostalgia of the game and we need to make sure that we keep like the history and the tradition. Okay, fine. Let's play basketball with no three-point line anymore. What do you think about that? Oh, hey, the nostalgia of football was no helmets. It was leather. Let's play with no helmets. Hey, the nostalgia of hockey, the goalie didn't wear a mask. Yeah. Let's go back
1: to that. I don't
0: care about the nostalgia of the game. It's what's doing what's best for the game. I don't want to see a pitcher hit. Madison Bumgarner is considered, like, the best hitting pitcher. And one second, let me look up what Madison Bumgarner is as an all-time hitter. But he's in the low 100s. uh...
1: Yeah, low to mid 100s is my guess. I I believe he's a he's a 177 hitter,
0: and he's the yeah. best. He's probably the best hitting pitcher. And we all like like, oh my God, Madison Bumgarner. He hits 177. Yeah, with two or three home runs every year. We you could have a really really terrible, awful, just brutal DH. He's probably still going to hit. 230, with an OP or with an OPS of just below 700, which is terrible. Yeah. but that blows yeah. pitchers out of the water. Yeah, and people say they want to see pitchers hit.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the universal DH. I think it's about time. Um, you know, that's coming from an NL fan who, you know, I I do like watching some of the Brewers hit. You know, we saw Brandon Woodruff smoke that ball up a Kershaw, um, but, uh, you know, I think it was time, and I'm really excited for the Universal DH in Milwaukee uh, this year because, um, you know, Lo- Logan Morrison was the guy. That right into your guys' hands. Yes. That's and, huge for um, you. That's actually going to be my next article, is going to be who gets the roster spot now at the Universal DH, and I think Logan Morrison gets it because he smokes right-handed pitching, and that gets Braun in the lineup. So now you can keep Avi and Braun, Lorenzo Cain, and, I mean, you get to keep all four of your outfielders in the lineup now. Well, and now you you got to think.
0: So you benefit – by having a DH, you're able to benefit yourself both defensively and offensively now. Because you can have Avi, who has a very good arm, and uh, you can have Yelich who – is it, is it mean? Isn't I'll just above average outfielder? And then you have obviously Lorenzo Cain, who's a very good, like, very good defender in center field. So now you don't have to worry about trying to, like, figure out where to put Braun and, Braun and Garcia. We have a good defensive outfield. Now yep. we can platoon at first base, right? I can figure out if I want to play Braun at first base or if I want to play Justin Smoke or if I want to play Logan Morrison. Whoever's playing first base. I can have somebody DH. So now, if a righty's throwing, huh? I got Smoke and Morrison in that lineup.
1: Yeah, and I think that's going to benefit Milwaukee huge. Um, you know, that's actually going to be my article that uh, I actually was going to do a different article, but I'm actually going to release uh, looking at the DH options for the NL Central um, coming up. Uh, I think I'm going to probably release that tomorrow, so that'll be Wednesday. Um, but yeah, you know, I was looking at the teams and what team is going to benefit the most from this. And I, I think it's Milwaukee that benefits. I the really most cause it,
0: think it's Milwaukee because now you don't because, have to worry about leaving Braun in left field.
1: No. And the other thing is, if you look at the guys on the bench in other teams, um, I think, uh, like Chicago, you'll have David Bode probably as their DH. Um, in St. Louis.
0: Well, the I've, Cubs will have Kyle Schwarber. They'll put Bodie in the outfield.
1: Okay, so, but Schwarber has a better arm than Bodie. So, do you, do you actually keep Schwarber yeah, in the outfield? Yeah, like, Sh-
0: but Schwarber looks like he just did, the, did a bar crawl trying to play left field.
1: Yeah, well. Ha- hammered. Then, you know, um, the Reds have Nick Castellanos, who will probably be their D.A. That's a perfect fit for them. Yes. And um the other one, oh, the uh what team am I missing though? Uh Cardinals. Cardinals. You know, Cardinals Cardinals are an interesting team. We talked about it, you guys will hear it in the interview with Ben. Um, he was a Cardinals fan. And we talked about it that they had seven potentially major league ready outfielders for this year. Um so, one of those outfielders will probably go into that DH. Role. Well, and the
0: craziest um, thing was that the reason that they traded Jose Martinez was because yes. even though he hit so well, he there was nowhere to play him. And now all yes. of a sudden, well, he would now, have fit in perfectly. Now like,
1: that trade just kicked them in yeah. the ass. But I mean, they still you know, got Libertor. Uh, yes. Who so I like a lot. That trade will be fine. Um, just this you know, year, it
0: kind of bites them in the ass.
1: And I think that. Depending how this universal DH goes for the next two years, I think that might be part of the CBA because that's talked about in that CBA is that universal oh, that's, DH.
0: That's going to be in the CBA.
1: Yeah, it's, and I think it's beneficial
0: to both sides.
1: Yeah. Um. This is this is how the league's going to be. So people just get well, used to and it. And I, I mean, I,
0: if if you're a player, that creates job opportunities. Yes. That by having I mean, a DH now, okay. Well, I can make sure. Like, a guy like Logan Morrison now has more opportunities to get a job because yeah. – or, you know, who else has a really good opportunity to get a job now is Yasiel Puig. Yeah. Because, because now, oh, Puig Pui plays well in the outfield, and now a guy who's not so good defensively in the outfield. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, poor defensive outfielder in the National League. Honestly, a team like I'm the Cubs, to think of... I oh, Yeah, now we now we put Puig in left field. Schwarber becomes our DA. It's a much better fit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, Cubs. I mean, I,
0: I, Cubs have no money. They won't. They can't sign Puig. I'm just using that as an example of a team that would like where that would make sense that logically. That would make sense. Um, but no, like maybe uh, a team like the Nationals where. Okay, well, Eaton is getting older, and we could use Puig out there with a better arm than Eaton. I don't know.
1: Yeah, or the other team that I was thinking of was even the Mets.
0: Absolutely, the uh, Mets. The
1: That's Mets really would good be a call. team. The Mets would be a good team for that. Um, you know, hey, don't. I mean, we talked about it. I think it was Ben that talked about. It. You guys are going to have a treat. The Marlins. I don't see why
0: Puig doesn't go to Miami.
1: Yes, and you guys are in for an absolute treat when you listen to Ben talk because, you know, he brings up some really good points. I mean, that guy is just an absolute GES. So he said – I'm going to have a little spoiler alert here, but he said he would not be surprised to see a Marlins going to run. do the teams like the Marlins go out and sign Puig and uh, use him in that, I mean, their outfield is pretty good right now. They got Corey Dickerson. They got Br. Who do they got? Is their other outfield guy? I no, can't remember I don't, their other outfield guy.
0: Um, oh, it's
1: uh Garrett Cooper, who's a good. Well, I thought hitting. Cooper was playing.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I guess Aguilar would play first base.
1: Yeah, yeah. They moved Cooper to the outfield. But so now, if you go sign Garrett, Bleak,
0: yeah, Cleak's you your right Garrett, fielder.
1: Cooper's and your Cooper's first baseman.
0: No, he's your first baseman, and Aguilar becomes your D.H.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that might be a fit for Puig,
0: and don't forget Brian Anderson at third and Alfaro behind the plate.
1: Yeah, I'm, with the young rotation with, 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 that could surprise some people. Yes, and you guys are going to hear say, Ben talk about that today. I actually, I think I think it, it
0: might have been Dan that was talking about the Marlins.
1: Was it Dan? I it, think was it was one of the two, man. It, but I mean, yeah. So I it's think it would be uh been Dan, but. It's going to be interesting. For real, if the Marlins
0: were able to pick up a guy like Puig, that really fills up their lineup a lot better.
1: All right, here's another guy. Here's another guy maybe. We'll we'll end on this one before (laughs) we go into bad contracts. How about Scooter Jeanette, a guy who doesn't play good defense, had a really bad year last year, does not play good defense at all, and is limited as only a second baseman. But gives you a good lefty bat. A huge lefty bad. I don't know. Is he, he a guy see. that goes and becomes a DH in this? Well, and the team? thing
0: about Scooter was he was holding out for a job to be a starter. Yes. So he would not sign unless he had the opportunity to start. Well now he could start as a DH in a national yes. league format.
1: Yes. And that's the so that was the other thing I was when I'm looking at this whole thing and weighing options for DHs in Milwaukee and stuff. You know, Logan Morrison was a guy who, you know, really had two really not great years before he came to Milwaukee. And um, he had a really good spring training. You don't know how that's going to translate now. I mean, the guy's been off of baseball for three months now. Um, Do the Brewers go out and give Scooter a chance? He hit really well in Milwaukee. You got that short portion right. Um, do they go and try to get a guy like Scooter? I don't know, but because Braun doesn't hit as well anymore as he I did as he once did, I don't know. It's gonna. Be I think.
0: Well, I think they already made the decision when they went out and got Brock Holt and uh, so yeah. married, So I don't think they really have a place for him. But yeah, but that's hey, that's we got we got to stop there because we're gonna yeah. run out we're gonna run out of time before we actually get to our boys Dan and Ben. So yeah. Before we get – we're going to start off with Ben Clemens. Before we go to Ben, we are going to do a quick segment of Most Underrated Player. Um, and then we're going to end today with our new segment with bad contracts. But So we're going to go to Most Underrated Player real quick before we get you to our interviews with Ben and Dan. So uh, that's all we got for labor negotiations. And
1: we have baseball, people. All right, and we're back. Most Underrated Player segment. This is one of our favorite segments to do. Um, I mean, it's at the attention that he deserves. So, you know, Bo and I were talking, and uh, ironically enough, this week I picked a guy from the White Sox, and he picked a guy from a Brewer's. Um, So I'll just jump right into it. Um, So my guy plays for the White Sox, obviously. He's been one of the steadiest hitters in baseball. Um, I think that if the White Sox make a playoff run, which I, I think they will, Um, In the shortened 2020 season, he's going to be an instrumental part to this lineup. Um, You know, defensively, uh, he's not good. Um, But uh, hopefully Bo will talk about that a little bit once I – I'm sure he probably already knows who it is. Um, Yeah, I'm just just
0: letting you – I'm letting you get through it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, in uh, 2017 – he had a weighted run created plus of 139. He had 33 bombs in 2019 and had a career high uh, 123 runs driven in. Last year, he had a 1.9 WAR. You got it, Bo?
0: <laughs> Our guy, Jose Abreu.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, this is a guy. I love this guy um, offensively. Uh, he ranks top. If not top five, it's just his defense limits him. Uh, that's why his WAR is so low. low. Um, you know, love to have this guy in Milwaukee, even though you know defense not great. We, well, I guess we are going to have a DH now. So, um, but yeah. So you know, his bat PIP in 2019 was a 320. Uh, last year, he had the hot, had the highest hard hit rate of his career at 40.7 percent. Um, But, yeah, like I talked about, his defense is just terrible. His range rating for his career, uh, average out to be 2.7. He's only made 109 plays outside of the zone in his six years at the Major League level. But this is a guy who's obviously back first. um, Defense, yeah, you want to talk about that, bro?
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for Jose is that, especially if you watch the White Sox, you see it more often, um, but it seems like there's a lot of times where defensively he just kind of gets lazy. And offensively, he's never like that. Uh, he, I mean, he never takes an at-bat off, and he's he, um, his at-bats are very good. He fouls off pitches. He takes good pitches. Um, but it seems like defensively, he's just not always there. And when he is there, it seems like he actually is a very good defender. It, but the problem is that for a lot of the time, it just – it seems like he's not always in it defensively. And, again, I love Jose Abreu, but there's times where he's just not fully invested on the defensive end. And that's kind of why his metrics show that.
1: Yeah, it's like the lights are on, but no one's home when he's in the field. And when he's up to bat, lights are on, and he is at home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well,
0: uh, that was your most underrated player. Let's see if you can get mine. Um, Yes, he is in the Brewers. It was kind of ironic that we did that, but he is in the Brewers. Um, he is a former White Sox player, so it should limit it to a few people. Yeah,
1: I already got it. Uh, I don't think you do. But yeah, really?
0: Really. Um, he's with the White Sox. Um, came up in 2016, um, 2017, and 2018 were his best years with the White Sox. His OPS was never very high because he didn't hit a lot of homers. Um, but he had a very high on-base percentage at um, 373 in 2017, 366 in 2018. Um, he actually ended up slugging around 430 in 2018, so he got that up. A Woba of 321 and 348, and a weighted runs created plus of 101 and then 122 in 2018 with the White Sox. So he's above-average offensive player. Um, defensively, he's average. Um, There's years where he's been above. There's years where he's been below. But he's mostly valuable for his offense. Um, I lied to you earlier, Kenny, because he is a catcher.
1: Yeah, it's Omar.
0: It is Omar Narvaez. Um, Being a former White Sox player, uh, I was able to get a front row seat to what Omar did. And when he came up, it was something different about Omar. Because especially in today's game, The offensive aspect of the catcher is not as prevalent as it used to be. I don't know why the catchers struggle so mightily right now to, to hit well, but it seems like, you know, today's game, we don't have a strong offensive catcher the way we used to. We see Gary Sanchez. He's very up and down, but yes, he does end up producing pretty well. Other than Gary, I mean, we're talking about Mitch Garver, and then Omar Narvaez. And we don't really talk about Omar that much, especially because last year he was in Seattle um, and they were terrible. So he wasn't getting a lot of attention. Um, but he did manage to slash 278, 353, and 460. He hit 22 homers and drove in 55. Uh, he put up a 119 weighted runs created plus, ended up putting up a 1.8 more, uh, even though his defensive metrics were pretty poor. Um, he also managed to hit 12 doubles, um, drew 47 walks at a walk rate of about 10. So, Omar Narvaez is my most underrated player.
1: Yeah, he's a guy that I'm really excited to see, you know. Uh, we talked about it when the Brewers signed him and he was a guy that, you know, I didn't know a ton about at the time. Um. And you're like, you guys got to steal. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I he's not a, the catcher that you think of. Because, you know, we just came up a year where we had one of the best defensive catchers w- mixed with one of the best offensive catchers in Yasmany, uh, which now he went to the White Sox, which I think that both catchers that we're going to be rooting for this year are really good guys, and you know after after the Brewers signed him, and I looked into him a little bit, I was like, this guy's gonna be really good for us. Um, you know, I don't know what did you guys end up getting for him when you guys White Sox got off? a steal for him. And now,
0: although I loved Omar, we did get Alex Colome for Omar Narváez. And okay, um, getting a guy, especially with the White Sox, they didn't have a guy like Aaron Bummer yet. Um, who was, you know, reliable in the pen? Obviously, with Steve Cishek, this being his first year with the White Sox, he wasn't on board yet. Um, and they had, um, they had Zach Collins coming up, another left-handed hitting catcher. So Omar yeah. was more replaceable for the White Sox because they saw a future. And obviously, with them having Grandal now, I'm glad they don't have Omar because that would that maybe could have pre- prevented them from making that signing. Um, but again, I was actually, I, I was a little bit upset with the trade of Omar, but what we got in return was more than I could have expected either for a guy that I thought yeah, was yeah. undervalued.
1: Yeah. And I think Omar, you know, his name needs to be up in that, uh, you know, playing in Seattle is tough because there is not good. And, you know, I think you said he drove in 52 runs last year on a team that I think had the second lowest runs in the league last year. Here's the
0: other thing about Omar. So Seattle is a deep park. It's a very big park. Yep. And he hit 22 home runs on a fly ball rate of 40.5, which was higher than his ground ball rate or his line drive rate. And that was a shift from any year prior where his ground ball rate was his highest rate. So now he goes to a park in Milwaukee where that right field porch is a lot shorter than where it is in Safeco. His fly ball rate yep. has been increased since last year. He pulls the ball at a higher percentage than he goes to center field or opposite field. And his hard contact rate is 30% while he hits the ball at a medium hard or medium hard rate at 52%. Yeah, no. That has think- a potential, and I, I say this like informationally. Not just from my gut, which this from my gut a little bit, but Omar's probably going to hit th- like 20 homers in 60 games for the, for the Brewers. And yeah. that sounds insane, but I'm serious.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, coming to Milwaukee, lefties thrive in Milwaukee. Uh, the guy that I'm going to bring up is a guy that I love, but it's Eric Thames who absolutely thrived in Milwaukee with – and he benefited from that short portion, right? um You know his his numbers. Um, we'll have to I'll have to look it up at some point. We'll talk about it, I guess, at some point. Maybe he'll be a guy that we talk about at some point. But his numbers on the road weren't really good. Um, but at home, he he produced. Um, it's the same thing with Yelich. I mean, Yelich is hit in Milwaukee, so that park does play really well the lefties. It always has. Prince Fielder had really good success there. I mean, if you just think of the left-handed bats that have played at Miller Park, um, there's, a—I mean, another guy that I grew up watching when I was younger was Jeff Jenkins, who was our left fielder, left-handed bat, who just thrived in Milwaukee. Um, I mean, left-handed bats do really well there. has played really well there last year. Uh, Scooter played really well there. Uh, It's a good park for left-handed bats. I'm a left-handed hitter. I like Milwaukee
0: well, and again, I'm not the twenty home runs, yes, that is a stretch, but he legitimately could do it, but I, I maybe more realistically on the fifteen home run range, but again, if you're gonna hit fifteen homers in a sixty game span, that's a homer every four games from your catcher, yeah cash you no know,
1: hey i got, I got a question for you before we uh move on to whatever we got next what what do you think is the who do you think's the home run leader this year? And what do they hit? What do you think the home run uh, leader hits? How many home runs do you think they hit this year? In 60 games.
0: Um, well, let's see. Typically, your home run leader is anywhere from, like, 45 to 60. Which is yep. around a third of the games played. Well, we're yep. going to play 60 games, which is saying the home run leader is going to have 20. Which I think is low. And it may sound crazy, but we're in a sprint right now, so yep. every bat, ma- every at bat matters. Every pitch is vital. So I say I said the leading, the home run leader has 27-28. Yeah, no, that's and, what I'm, That's what I was my thinking too. Prediction for it
1: is going Let's to see, be. I have my prediction for who I think it's going to be. Are
0: you going to say Pete Alonso?
1: No, really, no. I'm going to say Cody Ballinger. I think that's a. I think that's a good prediction. I think.
0: I'm going to go Evan Encarnacion. I'm going to stick with the hometown Evan Encarnacion. He's going to get a shitload of at-bats the because they're not going to platoon him. He's going to get against righties and lefties and he's playing in the cell or at the guarantee rate field now which is a very hitter-friendly park.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Evan Encarnacion.
0: Uh, and with the Universal yeah, DH, he's, going to, he's never going to have a day. He's always going to be playing.
1: Yeah. Um, I got one more question for you, actually, now that, we, we talk, that we're we that on this subject real quick. Do you think we see more guys just play all 60 games this year as positional guys? Because, I mean, playing 162 games um, in this day and age is pretty tough. We don't see many guys do it anymore. Um, and I don't remember the last guy who even played 162 games in a year. I can't think of one. Do you think we see more guys play all 60 games?
0: I don't. And the reason I say so? that is because – you're going to have to play 60 games in 66 days. Now, that ratio is implying that for every 10 games you play, you get one off day. Now, playing 10 straight games and then having an off day and then 10 straight games, off day, 10 straight off day, 10 straight off day, and let's say it's not even balanced. Let's say it's like 8 and 12. So now all of a sudden I have a 12-game stretch before I have an off day. No. It's going to be really tough. To play that many games in that few days.
1: Yeah. No, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, what do you, what do you say we move on to the next part? Next segment. Yep.
0: We are going to move on to our interview with Ben Clemens of Fangrafts. This was, this was an awesome interview, and we're excited to share it with you guys. And here you go. Here is Ben Clemens. <laughs> hey, Ben. How you
3: doing? Good. How are you, man?
0: Good. Uh, we're glad to have you on.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Uh, I guess before we get started, I'll, uh, I'll let our guests know who we have on. Uh, today we have on Ben Clemens. He is a writer for uh, Fangraphs.com. Um, our favorite site, pretty much uh, the, the only site that uh, we like to use. So, um, But yeah, we have Ben Clemens here. Uh, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um,
0: yeah,
1: thanks for coming on, Ben.
0: And uh, I guess we start with, you know, I guess some good news. We have a season.
3: Yeah, I think that's actually pretty good news, considering how recent uh, call it communications between the two sides have gone.
0: Uh, I w- I would absolutely say it's good. Uh, I mean, it seems like for a long time we weren't going to get there, but hey, you got to take what you can get sometimes. Exactly. Um, I saw that you had just po- you just posted an article, I believe, earlier today about six game season. What What do you kind of see? moving forward, not for the 2022 uh, CBA, but honestly for 2021.
3: Yeah. So I actually think that this agreement worked out as best as possible for both sides, given, you know, the, the situation we're in, Um, because with no secondary agreement, there's going to be no question of what we're changing about 2021. It's just going to be governed by the normal rules of baseball. So there's no expanded playoffs for 21, unless we see some further bargaining. There won't be in a universal DH. And I think that's going to be pretty helpful to both sides in just getting back to work in 2021. If there was a lot of kind of side deal making, you know, changing the playoffs, uh, maybe doing some different guarantees of different contracts in uh, in this set of negotiations, then I think it could remain contentious until 21. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, There's still the question of what if there can't be any fans in 2021. But I think that's a much bigger problem for baseball than just negotiating these deals. (laughs) And if we're still on a point where there's no chance of in-person attendance in 21, that really is a serious issue for teams. Not like the the kind of bluffing they're doing this year. Two straight years of no gate revenue is going to be tough.
0: And, you know, you say that, and I was reading your chat that you had done yesterday, and someone had had mentioned in there, and it seemed kind of out there, but at the same time seemed like a really good way for, uh, you know, to kind of generate revenue with no fans. He had mentioned about doing like a VR type thing from the stands. Could you see that being a possibility?
3: Yes. I don't know the exact writing of Doing a VR thing of a Giants game, let's say, the NBC SN or whatever it's called, the NBC Bay Area affiliate that carries Giants games might be like, hey man, uh, this is basically what we're doing every yeah. day and we paid you a lot of money for it. Now, I think also there's the issue of would you actually want to attend a VR, you know, halfway up the first deck? Yeah, I have no idea. The limit that I get from going to a baseball game is wandering around the park, mm-hmm. uh, kind of watching from wherever I find myself. If I'm out in left field in the fifth inning and like looking in, great. And then I got a new angle. I, I don't know how exactly they're going to replicate that in VR, but I think you're going to see teams get really creative with ways to raise some money without necessarily a full complement of are many fans they could see at capacity. I think you'll try them see them try to sell like fancier experiences when they are there. But I don't I don't know if the full VR experience would work. I, I think that they're going to get a lot more creative at directly selling though.
0: Yeah, I could yeah, I mean, it's at this point you have to try and be creative, especially for teams that I okay, I I'm take that back. There is no single team that's probably going to struggle a lot uh ownership wise and. If they do lose money during this year, maybe the Cubs, because Ricketts has spent a lot of money trying to renovate Wrigley. Um, but for the most part, I think most owners are going to be fine, especially considering what we saw with the A's, who were crying poor to essentially everybody who would listen. And now all of a sudden they have the money to try and go buy out the rest of the Coliseum. Yeah.
3: Um, I think that there are some teams that will actually face real hardships in this. And those are basically the teams that have been expanding a lot. So the Cubs are a great example because they've been, not only have they been renovating Wrigley, but they own a lot of the land yeah. around Wrigley now. And that's, you know, obviously it's not cheap, but also a lot of it's funded with mortgages. And mm-hmm. with like with bond issuance and general, you know, debt. Um, the Cardinals are in a similar boat. The Rangers just spent a lot of money of their own on their stadium Yeah, And the Braves have a a similar kind of ballpark deal, Battery Atlanta or whatever. So I think some of those teams have a real... like, I don't really agree with the way they've portrayed it, but they actually do have an issue where if they couldn't get people in the gate for two years, they might have some money issues. Now, those money issues are solvable. They could sell equity in the team or they could take out more debt depending on the ways that their debt is set up. But I think some teams really will struggle if this continues in 21. And I think the Cubs are... A great example, not only because, yeah, they put all this money into renovating Wrigley, but how much money are you going to make off of Wrigleyville if people can't go there?
0: Yeah, and we actually, uh, one of the guys we had on last week, he had mentioned that Houston could be a team that struggles really bad uh, with no fans because their TV deal is is so uh, imbalanced for the way they make money. Could you say something like
3: that for Houston? Terrible. I could. um, The thing that they have going for them is that they don't have a lot of uh, non-player outlays. So the the biggest problem I think for teams is going to be, so there's kind of an offsetting effect where when you get the players, you're also getting an extra game of TV rights and you're getting your share of the playoff money. The thing that is worst for teams is basically fixed costs. So the players are a variable cost. Every extra game you play, you pay them a little extra. But if you just have a mortgage or if you just have a bunch of bonds, well, you can't, pay less on the bonds by playing less games so i think these teams with like these fixed structures are the ones that are most at risk the astros will probably lose money this year and if there aren't enough fans in the stands they'll probably lose money next year i think that's true because they have a, a not incredible tv deal but it won't be a huge issue because they're not like like they can stand to lose a little bit of money and still be okay i think the teams where they have leveraged some separate business doing some other baseball ish, but not baseball thing are the ones that are more in danger.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, Ben, Ben, I got a question for you. So, you know, the CBA is, uh, you know, it expires after the 2021 season. Uh, we saw that the two sides couldn't come to an agreement at all during this. Uh, do you think that lingers into the CBA coming up after the 21 season? Where do, where do you think that's going to stand? Um,
3: I don't think that this will affect it too much. I think it was always going to be a contentious one. I mean, the Chris Bryant uh, grievance, I think, really set the tone (laughs) for this a while ago, where, you know, that was in, I don't, I think court is the wrong word. I'm not a lawyer or even a legal advice kind of person, but that was disputed by the two parties for forever.
0: Yeah, that was Um, a long negotiation.
3: Yeah, and it just came out this off season. And I think they're not, Uh, The players aren't particularly happy with the way that went, unsurprisingly. Um, So I think stuff like that means that this is going to be, it's going to be a rough negotiation. Both sides are going to be, you know, both sides are upset with the other. But I don't think that too much of that has to do with this year's negotiation. Um, Particularly the owners, like, they're all billionaire businessmen. They get that this is the way of doing business. And that's the way that they do business in their actual industries yeah for the most part i think i'm not a a businessman either i'm kind of a jack of no trades but uh (laughs) but i think that on the player side because of the way that this went where they signed an agreement in march and the two sides came not particularly close to getting a new one and they just agreed by uh, you know agreed to abide by the march agreement i think that'll work okay for them and one thing that was useful for the players is they identified a few things the owners care about so we know the owners want expanded playoffs now. Um, we know that the owners want forgiveness from this grievance that the players could file. And those two things matter a lot to the owners. It, it's clear that those were the things they cared most about in the negotiations. Like they were very willing to go to 60 games right away, but they really didn't want to cave on a grievance and expanded playoffs. Those were their two big pushes. So now the players can say, cool, we have our issues. We want to change the way service time works. We want to change team control generally, maybe the arbitration system in its entirety. And here are two things that we can give you, and we'll find some other stuff to give you, too. I, so I think from that standpoint, it's helpful because it, it gives both sides a better idea of what the other side wants. But I still think it's going to be rough and ugly, and you're going to see a lot of gross headlines.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think, I think we all knew for the last couple of years that this new CBA was going to be you know, tenuous. It just this topped it off, I, I think, and obviously we're it's going to be a long one. And I, we obviously as baseball fans, nobody wants to see a strike, um, but with the inability to come to an agreement now, I feel like we're moving more towards a strike. Would you say we're we're moving in that direction or not?
3: Uh, I really don't think so. I I see why you think that, and mm-hmm. I'm not confident that I'm right. I just think that actually getting back to play is gonna make things a lot easier on both sides. Okay. Uh, like say what you will about both sides negotiating stances, but they get along a lot better when games are going on. There's, there's no, no disputing that, right? Like when you're actually on the field, players really care about their team. And when they're seeing their team win, owners care more about their team too. It, it feels a lot worse when you're kind of in these abstract, like talking via email things. So, I'm hopeful that the fact that they were able to get back to the field, even if it's part of an earlier agreement, hey, they made that earlier agreement. And I think the fact that, like, players are going to start getting paid again, owners are going to get all this playoff revenue. Now, if the playoffs don't happen this year, yeah, it's going to be awkward. Um,
2: (laughs) I think that would be –
3: that would completely change the game, where I think then stresses would boil over because – the owners have put themselves in a situation where if most of the regular season goes off without a hitch and then they miss the playoffs, they'll lose more money. Um, there's not much of a way around that for owners at this point. And so I could see them, were that to happen, say that there's a huge COVID spike in September kind of nationwide and sports get shut down again. Yeah, that then I think there's going to be some carryover animosity into the CBA negotiation. But otherwise, I am... I'm with you. I think we've known for years that it's going to be tough, and I'm not saying that it's definitely going to go okay. But I think that it didn't get any tougher through this. It's just always been tough, and it'll still be tough. I hope it works out quickly because not only do I love watching baseball, but my job relies on yeah. writing about it. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think it gets misaligned. Like you know, people are talking about, oh, it's millionaires arguing with billionaires and just figure it out. A lot. Of, a lot of people's jobs ride on this game too. So. There's more important things than, you know, just talking about arguing b- between yeah. millionaires and billionaires. So I um, mean, but, one uh, thing that gets
3: yeah. left out is that this initial agreement between, yeah, millionaires and billionaires. And I think more than half of the uh, the current players union are not millionaires. Yeah, exactly. There's a exactly. lot of minimum salary guys in there.
0: Sixty-some percent, I think, right? Something around there? Yeah,
3: exactly. So, but either way, I think that even those guys kind of, They really did a disservice to minor leaguers and future minor leaguers uh, in in this March agreement by shortening the draft and essentially paving the way for minor league contraction. So we shouldn't act like the players are the stewards of baseball and everything they say is for the betterment of the game. They're perfectly willing to uh, sacrifice the future to make more money now, too. It's just they do it in less like Mr. Burns style villainous ways than the owners do. Very true.
0: Um, we're going to move on from the labor talks here. Um, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's about time. And we've been talking about it for months. So you know what, let's, we got an agreement. Let's move on from that. Um, you're a Cardinals fan, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. How are the Cardinals affected in this 60 game shortened season? Uh, We've seen them go out. We, they, they kind of cut their depth a little bit with the outfield, but then went out and made like another depth move, getting Austin Dean. Um, where do the Cardinals sit in a 60-game scenario, um, especially in a pretty competitive division in the NL Central?
3: Yeah, I think that that's the key to all this, is that the NL Central is just going to be, like, crazy this year. It's, it was already going to be really close, and shortening the season just gives the teams that were a little behind it's anarchy. a higher chance of being ahead. It's yeah, anarchy. It's, exactly. And so I think, I think that what's going to happen is – Whoever's leading the league after a month, like leading the central rather after a month is going to be really incentivized to go. Like, I don't know what the trading deadline's going to be yet. Yeah. That's a good point. I haven't even thought about the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: actually, I actually just saw a tweet about that a couple minutes ago and it sounds like it's going to be August 31st.
3: Okay. So yeah. Then if the season starts July 24th, then if you're ahead after a month, then you should really go nuts uh, trying yeah. to get into the playoffs because It's just, like, that being ahead matters way more than how good you are once you get down to only a month left. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at kind of, like, whole season playoff odds, for the first half of the season or so, it's what's much more important than how good a team is, or what's much more important than how well a team is doing is how good they are. So if you're down five games, but you're much better than your opponent, you still have a pretty good chance of making the playoffs, even in game 80. Mm Mm-hmm. But with a 60-game season that half of is over before the trade deadline, if you're up five games with 30 games to play, you're massively favored. Like, Absolutely. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You could be terrible, and you'd still be massively favored. So teams who are a little ahead after a month are going to be really incentivized to go for it.
0: So I think that's
3: the yeah. big thing for the Cardinals is it matters so much for them how well they play in the first two or three weeks.
0: And I think one of the biggest things is about the NL Central – is that those teams are – I think they're all going to be relatively even record-wise, but, like, team structure and what they do, they couldn't be more different. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a Cubs team that – aging doesn't have to do with your team structure. You have uh, an offense that is probably going to do a lot of damage with a pitching rotation that other than John Lester right now, we've seen – variation in Darvish. We've seen variation in Jose, a lot of variation in Jose Quintana. Um, And although Hendricks is pretty consistent, when you only make 10 starts and you're not a guy that really dominates, you know, uh, lineups, all it takes is for two or three of those starts to be unsuccessful, and you finish with an ERA or a FIP that is unrepresentative of what you actually did.
3: Yeah, well, I will say I'm really high on Darvish. I think he's a like easily a top 10 pitcher in baseball. Um, Now he hasn't, he wasn't his first year at the Cubs and his first year and a half, really. He just didn't get the results that I think his talent would merit, but I, I am much higher on him than I think consensus is. I think he's just, I think he's the Cubs best starter by far. And I think he might, if not for Flaherty be the best starter in the central. Like I think he's comfortably better than Brandon Woodruff. Um, I think he's comfortably better than any of the pirates guys. I mean, you know, yeah. there's there's not really that much going on there, and yeah. I guess you could say Castillo is close. I, I think Flaherty's probably better, but after that, I'd pick Darvish. Um, yeah,
0: I think Darvish is is, is per, or he's primed for a progression because it seems like a lot of his outlier statistics are going to bounce back more to where he's been. Yeah, you know, if he looks like he
3: was in like August and September, yeah, he
0: was really right. good second oh my half God. last year. He was yeah. so good.
3: He was really good. It was it was really rough, like. I'm a big U Darvish fan. He's really fun to watch pitch. He is one of like three pitchers I'll always watch. And he was just pitching out of his mind and it just didn't matter. Like he was pitching, you know, losing two, one games left and right. And the Cubs were kind of backsliding as he kept doing really well. And it just sucked to see him out there, like, like just playing as well as he's he's ever played and getting nothing for it. So I really hope that, uh, that he keeps it up because he's so fun to watch when he's on.
0: Um, yeah, but back back to the Cardinals a little bit. Now, when they made that deal for Libertor, and they needed to cut some from their outfield. I mean, they had what What do they have? Probably seven guys that could have made their major league roster as yeah, outfielders d- alone. Depends on how
3: much you believe in some of these guys, but yeah. Um, Conceivably seven, for sure.
0: Yeah, and they made the deal where they went out and got Libertor, who's going to... Where did, I, I'm not exactly sure where he slid into their top 30, um, but he's going to sign into at least their top 10, for sure.
3: Yeah, top five, and I think... It kind of depends on how you feel about uh, like time to the majors versus uh, versus overall talent level. Yeah, um, where it fits in there.
0: Well, I guess that's what I'm going to ask you. Where what do you think of the move to go get Libertor?
3: Oh, I I liked it well enough at the time. Um, so we at Fangraphs have him third, and uh, they're okay, and they're top ten. But again, like we have Andrew Kisner sixth, and I think you could easily say he's ahead because he's played in the majors. Um, mm-hmm. I like the Libertor trade. I think that one thing that the Cardinals have been bad about doing is consolidating depth. Basically like what you're saying, how in the world do you get seven major league starting outfielders? It's because you just, you just fetishize depth and so you just keep going and getting <laughs> it. Like, like there's really not much other way to explain how good the Cardinals are at creating like two war, one war players. They're so good at it. And they've really struggled to get superstars. So, yeah, it is
0: amazing. I I never really looked at it like that, but I guess they do do a really good job of that.
3: Yeah, and so I think that I think you could argue that they lost the trade um, in terms of like EV of each player because I I thought Randy Rosarena was probably one of their top three outfielders actually. Um, uh-huh. I think the, the Cardinals were a little low on him, and he, all he had done is just like shove at every level of the minors, um, and. Jose Martinez had to go, I think. Um, now, now that we know that there's an NLDH, maybe not, but at the time, I think that was reasonable to let him go. Um, and I think Liberator is probably higher thought of in public prospect analysis circles than he is in team analysis circles. That's the, the scuttlebutt that I've heard from uh, a few people in the game, but he's still a really good prospect, but I think a makes up enough of the value like, we have him almost the same prospect tier, just a little bit below. Uh, wow, and, again, it depends on how much you value time to the majors versus skill in the majors. But even though they're losing the trade a little, I think I think it was worth doing. They really needed some, like, really high-ceiling pitching talent, some high-ceiling talent in general. It's helpful for them to have him be 20 instead of, I, I think, Rosarine is, like, 24 okay. because – they're just chock full of players who are 24 and okay. Um, it's useful for them to have a guy who's younger and has a shot to really yeah. break out.
0: And the, most valu- uh, and the most valuable thing when evaluating prospects is age at this point.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, to use the Cubs as an example again, like, they did a really good job of building up their talent when they were rebuilding, and then when they needed to go out some of these moves have worked out but it was really useful to have Heimer Candelario and to have Jorge Soler and yeah. have Eloy Jimenez, all these guys. Um, because you, they built higher end depth because they got the draft earlier in the first round and they spent more uh, internationally and all that kind of stuff. And they never didn't trade for uh, win now pieces for a while. But the idea of um, building up a bunch of depth and then trading it for consolidations and improvements makes a lot of sense. And I think until this offseason, the Cardinals had been... Uh, just leaning too hard on the side of depth. I mean the Goldschmidt trade was this like the foreshadowing of this move where they traded three okay guys. I, mean, I really like Luke Weaver actually. Uh, just to to concentrate talent in fewer spots on the team. But I like the idea of going and getting Liberator. Um I don't, I don't know when he's gonna make the majors, but he could be awesome. So
0: Yeah, I do like Liber- I do like Liberator a lot.
3: Yeah, All man, right. Big lefty. It's hard to Hard to not like the concept. Yeah, the concept tall of it is big. And like fast lefty. Yeah. All
1: right, Ben. So, uh, you know, looking at your Twitter a little bit and see your big out of the park fan. Uh, how realistic do you compare? I, I play out of the park um, every year. I've, I've gotten it the last, I guess, well, I guess two years now I've gotten it. How realistic do you think that is to like the sim seasons? How uh, realistic is that to the real life, do you think?
3: Um, I think it is pretty close to real life. I think that the places where it's different kind of make it fun. <laughs> um, I like that it feels almost like real baseball, but that I know if I work really hard at my sim seasons, I'll do well. <laughs> yep. Like It would just be miserable if it exactly simulated the major leagues where like, you're the, the Tigers GM and you might press every button right for six years and it's like, eh, okay. Um, I like <laughs> the fact that making it feel faster and making it easier to turn a team around, not easy to be clear, there's a lot of hard work that you have to do. And I think that what's really fun about it is that you can do the work, but you can still succeed. Yep. yep. They've struck this really good balance of like, like addictive gameplay because you know you can improve but not so easy that they're just giving it to you. And
1: yeah, yeah, that's the that's the thing with me. Like you know, I got obviously I'm a Brewers fan, so I love you know doing a little Brewers. You know, I usually play five, four or five years, and yeah. it's just fun. You know, because uh, for me, I'm an analytical guy, the same you guys are over at graphs and like you know, I always seem to fire Craig Council after the first year, and our success <laughs> just skyrockets hiring an analytic a sabermetric manager. Do you find that same thing kind of when you're, if you do change managers and stuff? Uh,
3: yeah, I tend to not actually you know micromanage the games and I tend to install a manager who will go with my tactics more. I also really yeah. like how much emphasis they put on scouting in it.
1: Yes, so, and that was a big adjust. I think that was huge for the Out of the Park 21. I think that they did do scouting very well in this one.
3: Yeah, so I had lapsed a little bit. I think I had last played in like out of the park 15 before this one. Okay. And I I find the scouting system so much better now. It's yeah. it's really fun, and it actually feels like you're doing something by scouting prospects and by changing the positions in the minor leagues. It just feels like the the part that we all really want to do, if we're being honest, like as baseball writers and analytical fans, is manage the prospects, essentially.
1: Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The end game stuff is cool too, and I really like major league players. That my whole job is to write about them. But if you were running a team, you would care so much about the prospects. You'd care more about them than the major league players because they're you know a finished product. Uh, and I think out of the park by putting so much emphasis on scouting this year has really uh, really captured that feeling where you know when I was writing for a Cardinals blog instead of writing for FanGraphs now I knew every Cardinals minor leaguer and I knew how they'd done in the last week all the time. And it was just like, I cared so much. And I think that out of the park does a great job of capturing that feeling for, you know, some random team. I'm, I'm managing the brewers this year, uh, in a league of baseball writers. And I have found myself caring a lot about, you know, the 25th guy in the brewers list or whatever, where right now I don't, um, (laughs) like in real life, I don't that much, even though uh, I find the brewers a very interesting team this year, but, once you uh once you have a game where you have to know how good these guys are, like how good is Trey Supak gonna be? Then all yep. of a sudden, like, oh, I'm addicted.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's some nights where I lay in bed at about ten o'clock at night and I don't turn off my computer until about twelve forty five. That's just how much it just draws me in. And I don't, yeah, I mean, twenty one, they really did do a really good job with twenty one. Um, yeah, I'm quite. A-
3: a baseball simulation guy. But I think, it, I think they really hit the, hit the nail on the head with this one.
0: Uh, well, Ben, we got one more thing before we let you go, and we have asked us to all of our guests so far. Um, with the 60-game schedule, originally we kind of thought it might be 50. We could have been anywhere as high as 70, but we have 60 now for sure. We can see a, a lot of different things happen. Uh, The variation is going to be incredible for what is really good and what is really bad. What is some crazy hot take, some crazy prediction, something way out there that you could see happening in a 60 game, you know, span that would shock all of us.
3: I like the sound of this. Um, What could happen in a 60 game span that shocks everyone? For an, gonna yeah.
0: For an example, we would, we would kind of tell everybody like like the cliche one that everybody saw, you know, the Giants were 31-19, the Nationals were nineteen thirty one. Could we see yeah. a 400 hit or something like that?
3: Yeah, I am going to say that we're going to see a pitcher win all his games uh, and basically like put up a pitching season, the likes of which doesn't make much sense to us anymore. Like maybe a an 8-0 pitcher with an ERA in the ones or something. I think you're going to see a really extreme pitching season. Um, I don't have a guess for who, but I think that there's going to be the chance for teams to be very differently prepared. Like, some guys are going to be ready to go and some guys aren't going to be. And I think that's going to create a situation where one pitcher happens to face a bunch of teams uh, who are not prepared or just suck, like, you know, if, if your starts line up to where you get three Orioles starts out of your 10, yeah. uh, you're going to look good. Uh, and I, I think that that's going to happen where some pitcher, and pre- specifically a pitcher, because I think starting only 10 games is going to result in yeah. some really unbalanced strength of schedule. Whereas if you're a hitter, you, you face pretty much everybody. Um, I think some pitcher is going to have a season that is really hard to understand, where you look at it and you're just like, man, I, no one is ever this good for a whole season now you say that, could we see something that's almost the exact
0: opposite of that? Okay. Not exact opposite where we see a guy who's uh, advanced statistics, say he should have had a really bad year, maybe a FIP in the fives. His ERA might be in the high threes, low fours, but we somehow see him pull out like a eight and O nine and season and doesn't
3: look. Really oh, sure. take... Yeah. that That's very possible. Um, I think that, there was a Masihiro Tanaka season where he won like his first 10 decisions or something. and He was good, but he wasn't incredible. And I think that's very much possible. Uh, I do think that that won't be one of these situations where we get the stupidest Cy Young ever or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, the Rick Porcello Cy Young. Voters have progressed past that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that one's pretty bad, and I'm not even sure it's like the worst in recent memory because uh, he was good that year. The thing is everyone knew he wasn't that good long term. But if you look at that year, like he had a low 3s FIP and made 33 starts and struck had a pretty decent strikeout rate, didn't walk anybody. He was at least like defensible. I don't think you're going to see a guy with like a a FIP in the 4s uh take down the Cy Young this year even if they go 9 and 0 with a low ERA. I
0: but, think yeah, I think uh I think Porcello is going to be the last guy maybe for a very very long time that is going to be he won the Cy Young mostly because he won he had really good he had a high win total.
3: I could see that. Um, it helps a lot for him that that was a weak year.
0: Mhm. I think like, Verlander got second, right? I, I believe remember. so. I think Verlander um, took second. Let's look
3: at 2016. So, yeah, that sounds right. Verlander took second and it was probably better. Uh, I mean, almost definitely better. I'm looking at the stats here, and he he had more first place votes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, um, he had basically the same ERA, pitched a similar number of innings, and struck out an extra 60 batters. So yeah, that that was a pretty bad one. Um, but I don't know, I. I think that that was bad, but it was a down year for Verlander, even though it was a good year. He had like an ERA in the threes. Um, It wasn't like an obvious slam dunk, yes. And you know, Porcello pitches in Boston. I think there will probably be worse ones still to come in the future, but I I definitely remember that. Not that he's you know terrible, but he's a journeyman. And it was like him or Justin Verlander or Corey Kluber, like, come on.
0: You know, the, the craziest part about that season is that Aaron Sanchez actually outpitched Rick Porcello that year. And Rick Porcello won the Cy Young. I mean, if you go down there and look at Aaron Sanchez, he accumulated a war over five. Uh, his ERA was actually lower. He, I think he started only a couple less games. He still threw almost 200 yeah. innings. He was pretty good and this year. Just,
3: I mean, this this before he, uh, he broke or whatever, huh?
0: Yeah. I guess that was before he just collapsed. but
3: Yeah, that's a good year. I didn't realize that. Looking back on this year, this was, um, this was the year that Zach Britton didn't pitch in the, uh, in the yeah. wild card game. That was fun. Yep. This was a good year. Jay Happ got sixth <laughs> in Young voting. This was a crazy year. Jose Quintana
0: and Chris Sale of the White Sox both finishing in the top ten.
3: Yeah. This was, uh, a, this was a real blast in the past, even though it's only four years ago.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. But, all right, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we had a great time talking with you. And uh, we actually – we would love to have you back, for sure.
3: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. I'd, I'd, I'd invite me back whenever. I'm, I'm always around. I'm sitting here writing about baseball all day, so.
0: Yeah, and, hope, yeah, and pretty soon you're going to have some real baseball to write about. So, that's going to be fantastic. God. And we'll all be reading. So, thank you very much, Ben, and uh, have a great day. And we will have some baseball pretty soon for us all to enjoy.
3: Thanks a lot. Have a great one, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: That was our interview with Ben Clemens. We now move on to our interview with Dan Zemborski of Fangraphs as well. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. All right, perfect. All right, well, okay. hey, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem at all. My pleasure.
0: Um, all right, guys, uh, for those listening today on the podcast, we have Dan Zemborski. He is a writer for Fangraphs.com. Uh, a lot of other things he does too, but that's uh, what we know him best for. But uh, we are very happy to have Dan on today.
2: Hi, how's it going today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, you know, we just actually had Ben Clemens on right before you. And uh, we had talked... I know to, Ben. I bet you do know Ben. <laughs> um, but we just had Ben on and uh, we talked a lot of labor negotiations. So we don't really want to bore you with that because it seems like that's all anybody's been talking about for the last two well, months. It's,
2: it's not like anything else is going on. No. And that's
0: the sad part is we're trying to find other things to talk about and there just doesn't seem like a lot. So I yeah, guess... I, I,
2: I figure at least there's some baseball that's a good thing because if there's no baseball, then it'll, then by the time April comes around, I will have been employed somehow for a year and a half as a baseball writer without baseball. So I feel like I'm employable when yeah. there's baseball coming back. So really? that, 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 that's a good thing. You got to take
0: that as an accomplishment. If you can be employed for a year without what you're supposed to be doing even existing. So- yeah, that
2: – yeah, like if baseball like went out for three years, I think I would have a problem. I'd have to actually, you know, work hard or something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, there is some baseball going on though, and that there would be is, is. in Korea. Yeah,
2: there is. No, there is, and it's it's a it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but I'm, st- you know, I'm still learning. You know, all the people, all the players in Korea, because you know, we're very American centric. Uh, you know, by necessity, because we can see all the American games. Uh, So it has been fun to watch the KBO uh, more extensively than I've been able to in the past. And it's a, it's a cool league and I hope people still pay attention to it once major league baseball's back. Uh, But I am also happy to have major league back.
0: Yeah. I got to say, I enjoyed KBO a little bit too. Unfortunately, my LG twins are on a little bit of a losing skid right now, but uh, you know, for the most part, they've been really good. And uh, I, I don't understand how, I mean, the Dinos team OPS is, through the roof um, they just continue to rake uh, but uh, KBO has been interesting I've enjoyed watching it
2: yeah, I mean there there are there are some things you need to get over like you had to get used to there being a league where Dan Straley is getting batters out <laughs> and oh just <Ojasama> Despagne. <laughs> yeah I mean Dan Straley has allowed two home runs in nine games and I mean, Aaron ask, Brooks has
0: been incredible too
2: yeah and if you but you if you, if you ask me like 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 what league is Straley in? If he's only allowing two hard runs in nine games, I'd say, I don't know. Little league. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's way absolutely. better. Than little league. So I, I'm happy for Straley. Uh, I've, I've made a lot of snarky comments about him. So I, I am happy to, for him to have success. Also Preston
0: Tucker. My goodness.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird. Cause it, 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 it's, cause you see these names and you remember a lot of these names, you know, like quadruple. And Tucker, uh, they they just like Brandon Barnes uh just joined the KBO. Uh-huh. uh So so you see a lot of like those those AAA guys who've been floating around. Uh and, and and they find a place. And it's good for them because the pay in the American miners stinks. And going to KBO or going to Japan, going to the NPB, that's an opportunity for some of these guys to make, you know, real dough, which they wouldn't. Uh and there's been a lot of players that would have been, you know, playing in the Triple A for you know forty thousand dollars when they're veterans. Like I think about like old like Greg LaRocca with the Indians. He went over to Japan and he made several million. So it's it, it's good for them and and they like to have the important players in a lot of home runs and so hopefully everybody's happy. Yeah, and like
0: guys like Roberto Ramos, who you know, it seemed like yeah. they
2: had a future, but all of a sudden you go over to the
0: KBO and now they definitely have a future.
2: Yeah, I, I I'm surprised he's been this good, but. Uh, I, I did bash the Rockies a lot last year because the thing was, I didn't think he'd be great in, in, in the major leagues. I mean, he was playing in the PCL in a huge home run season. Uh, but the thing is the Rockies, they didn't really care to find out. They, it was a lost season. They were, they kept playing Mark Reynolds for some reason uh, and they showed no interest in Roberto Ramos. just like before him, they didn't show any interest in Mike Talkman. Uh, and uh-huh. that's the kind of thing, that, that will hopefully come back to bite the Rockies. And they'll realize it, but who knows? Absolutely. Um, now, I had kind of mentioned you this
0: just before I brought you on, that we were going to do something with you here. Um, and we had not done this yet. And um, we typically do a segment on our Sunday show called What the Hell Happened to This Guy? And me and Kenny, we try and see if the other person can guess it. And then after we give them some attempts, we just let everybody know who the person is. Um, but what, essentially what the segment is, is this person was either a good player or a name that everybody knew. Um, but in some way he was like a, a, like a major part of baseball in some way. Was it Don and, Gullet? Huh? Don Gullet? Yes. Um, but I the win. Way, <laughs> no. I'm... But the way this works is um, we pick somebody. Um, we try to find out what they're doing now. Um, and I have one for you that I want to see if you'd be able to guess. Are you interested? Okay, sure. All right, we're gonna try this out. So the one I did on Sunday, I'm a White Sox fan. This is the first White Sox one that I had done, but he was a White Sox player, and he didn't start with them, he didn't end with them, but he's mostly known for what he was able to do, really, in one year with the White Sox. But he was is it Eric Soderholm. More. It is not.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: He was there with the White Sox from the years 2008 through 2011. With 2008 being his breakout year and essentially the only year that he, uh, uh, I guess, was really an above – okay, he wasn't above-average hitter, but above-average overall player.
2: Um, okay, but, so it definitely wasn't Eric Soderholm then because he'd no. be like 60 at the point. So
0: 2008, uh, this player hit 36 homers. He drove in 100. He struck out at only a 14% clip. Uh, his weighted runs created plus was a 152. He got on base at nearly a, 400%, or a 400
2: clip, and he ended up producing almost a five-war. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Did this person ever break Zach Greinke's collarbone? He did. Well, then it would be Carlos Quentin. It would be Carlos Quentin. Wow. <laughs> How about that? I know it was his 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 one year cuz actually he came up in a conversation I had recently. Really? So so uh we were talking about like one year sluggers uh in the early 2010s. I think I was talking with Josh Nelson uh uh was, Oh, so, Josh I, we just
0: had him on uh week ago.
2: Yeah, I think we were we were talking about Carlos Quintin. So um uh I I I got to have cheat since he was actually in my mind from recently. Uh, and because Carl, whoever I was talking a, with, we were talking about how quickly he came in and how quickly he came out. And he was, you know, a pretty significant prospect uh, with, with the Diamondbacks. He, he was involved in, in, you know, the, the Kimbrel trade later. Yeah, uh, And he just, it just didn't happen for him. He was, I believe he the White injury. Sox
0: traded Chris Carter for him.
2: What are I the Chris lost. Carter's? I, I, don't know I which Chris Carter. I
0: think it was the power though, and the guy ended up hitting 40 home runs with the Brewers. I believe it was that Chris Carter.
2: It but, was
1: because the Diamondbacks were obviously my second favorite team growing up, and I remember we traded him, and then he broke out in Chicago that following year. Because I actually had a bow when you said it, um, but yeah, I remember everyone in Arizona was like, "What the hell did we just do?"
0: Yeah, but that that's an interesting one. I Carlos Quentin, man.
2: Uh, some of the some of the players with similar names are more difficult, like the Alex, Alex Gonzalez's, the Alex <laughs> yeah. Gonzalez. I mean, they're kind of, I mean, crappy-ish low on base percentage shortstop doesn't really separate which one is which.
1: Uh, yeah. So
2: I always I always referred to uh, the one uh, I don't know which one it was uh, the one who played with the Marlins because uh, his nickname on the team was Seabass, so I'd call him Seabass Gonzalez everywhere, and that's how I knew which one it was. Uh and I I was kind of mean to someone on Twitter one time because I asked like which one was the good Alex Gonzalez and he's trying to tell me which one the good one is and like I don't see the good Alex Gonzalez can you tell me which one the good Alex Gonzalez is It was <laughs> it was, was, was kind of mean it was like a really bad really bad you know 1930s uh radio comedy uh the poor guy never realized what I was doing but that is that Yeah but that's I'm I yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm
0: impressed. That was actually really good. I, Carlos Quinn's not a name you really think of, but I guess if you were talking about him recently, makes it a little, boy, little yeah, easier. Yeah, I, to... I
2: was good. Um, I'm, I'm glad you gave me more guesses because I would just guess like every White Sox player in history that I can remember. <laughs> that, that'd be a funny podcast if it's just Dan Zamborski naming White Sox players. <laughs> Let's see how like, many he gets today. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no clues. Is it Don Kessinger? Yes, is it Steve Stone? Juan Pierre. Ah, oh, Juan Pierre. <laughs> um, I'm still amazed. I mean, the, the contract, his contract with the Dodgers wasn't so uh, big by recent standards, uh, but it just seems so weird that someone gave Pierre a five year guarantee.
0: Yeah, especially. Well, and, can you imagine if someone gave Juan Pierre a five year guarantee, especially with what we know today? Oh my! That front office would be torn
2: to shreds. Yeah, was that was that Coletti on the Dodgers at that point as the GM? I don't. I don't know. No. I don't know what year he signed that deal. I don't know. Every everything runs together. It was like the late two thousands. No, he would have been. That was that was later. He wasn't with. I don't know. It's it's probably not important too. <laughs> it to really is but you know what? What? Why not?
0: But uh. Yeah. Um, Oh, also, I have another thing I want to ask you. Now, the other day I was watching you do your live stream uh, broadcast, essentially, of MLB The Show. Now, are you a guy – I know you
2: game. Do you play MLB The Show? I do play MLB The Show. I don't play that online because the the problem is I'm not very good at hitting anymore. Uh, Interesting. The the issue is that – I mean, I am a gamer, but my reflexes are not the same as they were 20 years ago. Very uh, true. In, in I mean, I, I played, you know, Unreal Tournament and Quake, Doom, all those when they came out, and I was I was much better at that point. I, I had quicker reaction times. Uh, I'm 42 now, so my reactions aren't as great anymore. Uh, I have to be, like, if I'm playing Call of Duty and I see the glint of another sniper and I'm playing sniper, I'm gonna lose that, you know, that one-on-one battle. Uh, I have to be a little more clever. I can't just you know, try to out-snipe the guy because I'm not going to, because my ref- my reflexes have slowed down, and it's the same with MLB The Show. I, I could have rocked every fastball and baseball stars and RBI baseball uh, in the late '80s, uh, bases loaded. I could I could have I could have hit the crap out of the ball in those, but here I I fall behind a good fastball. My my recognition skills are not quick enough, uh, so I, I, I do not really play it online.
0: Well, hey, lucky for us, we're still in our early twenties. So we have plenty of reaction time left for us. <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: Yeah, the the alcohol the, the the alcohol will slow you down over time. Oh
0: no, don't tell us that.
2: <laughs> Cause you know when I uh when I was when I was in college, uh it was when Goldeneye had come out okay. uh, for the N64. And we used to uh my friends and I we used to spend whole weekends uh get like 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 four to five cases of beer uh a lot of, let's just say, uh, smoking substance. And we used to play just Eye for 40, like 48 hours straight with very little sleep and, and gamble on it and all sorts of things. That, that was fun.
0: All right. Now, back to the of The Show talk because we have a proposition for you. And we've been kind of building this up a little bit as the podcasts have gone on. Um, it's something that is unique to me and Kenny that we have started out doing. And we think that if we got enough people to do it, it could be a really fun challenge. Now, okay. are you a franchise guy on the show? Are you like more Road to the Show? What do you What do you typically I like to, I like to play pictures on Road to the Show. Okay. Um, well, we like to play a franchise, and what we typically do is since we have a lot of time on our hands, especially right now, um, what we have kind of you know installed is this challenge that we do, where you take every team, you download the exact same roster and you try to win the World Series with every team as fast as possible. Then once you've completed a World Series, you've won a World Series with all 30 teams, you take the average of the year that, of the year that you won it, divide it by 30 and see who won the World Series on average the quickest. Wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work, and it takes some dedication. A lot,
2: a lot, a lot of work. Have you guys, done the, have you guys made the Marlins win the World Series? Well, actually, that's not even the hardest one.
0: Uh, Baltimore, without Baltimore question, and Detroit,
2: but and Detroit, Detroit is
0: actually a little bit better than
2: Baltimore. Are are you using? It it, it might depend on what roster set you're starting with. Yeah, uh, and so when we you have, yeah. I'm sorry, when you have the yeah, deep minors good. roster sets, then you probably get a better batch of Tigers pictures. I don't think anything can save you as an Orioles. Uh. No,
0: Orioles are a lost cause because I mean, no, yeah, that, we
1: use uh, yeah. we use riding rosters. I, those guys are awesome. I don't know if you ever use their Yeah, rosters. I do use them
2: as my base. Uh, yes. Uh, but you get Mize and Manning and – Yep, yep. And yep. – uh, Yep. Yep. And that's why
1: we like using that. And uh, we did one earlier in the year um, with, like, you know, when the first Riding Rosters came out. And after the draft happened and Riding Rosters released their draft vault, we, uh, we took that one, and that's what we're doing our next one with.
2: Yeah, uh, for our uh, MLB the show, at the riding roster. Okay. Uh, so, so the players are are graded based on that, and and the computer uh, general managers are making moves based on that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, and that's what we have to do. Is it is interesting because some I and here's the only way we do it is eventually. You, I think you, we give you six years. We each get six years to try and win it. If you don't win in 6 years you automatically take a 2030 which is detrimental okay, to your So average. you don't
2: have to, so you don't have to play forever until no, you get
0: one. No. No. And that with Seattle I had to give up.
2: And that's where I'm
1: about with is Colorado right now. I'm in 2023 with Colorado right now I believe or 2022. I just cannot win. I I got everyone I need and I just cannot win.
2: Uh, I mean, I I would imagine the Rockies aren't as hard as some other teams. I mean, you do get to start with, with a couple players. Plus you don't have to be Jeff Breidich, which is a big plus.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Jeff Breidich isn't in the equation. (laughs) That is very true.
0: Um, all right. I got one more question for you, Dan, before we let you go. Um, aside from it, it won't be the show talk, which we typically like to do. Um, With the 60-game schedule, pretty much mandated now. And uh, Jeff Passen just let us all know that the players have agreed upon it. We're still waiting on, you know, the the official announcement. But it seems like we're going to have a done deal. With the 60-game schedule, it seems that there's a lot of different things that could happen. Um, You know, the variation is between what is is really good and what is really bad is very large. What is something that – you could see happen. You you have a hot take, a crazy prediction. Um, it's out there. That could happen. That would shock
2: people. Well, I think we're going to see one of the mediocre teams that, that really need a lot of help uh, to, to make uh, the playoffs under like you know 162 games. I think you'll start to see some of these guys actually, you know, win a division. Someone like the Rangers or the Angels or not so much the Jays because the Yankees are probably too tough. Uh, but even – even the Marlins, I think, could make a serious division. Or maybe run. the Chicago White Sox. Or the White Sox. I, mean, see, yeah, I would be, I would be quite as shocked about the White Sox. Oh, really? No, I mean, I get. I, I did uh, projections for fifty games, and I had them with a, an above fifty percent chance of making the playoffs under a uh, fifty game schedule. Oh, so I'm not trying to call that super shocking. Uh, I, I I think it's. I would be quite as shocked that the White Sox make the playoffs as as say the Rangers, who I think are just considerably weaker, or the Marlins, who I think. They've papered some of their offensive issues, but I don't think it'll be enough. Uh, but it, 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 it's nice because, you know, in a 60 game season, uh, I mean, a lot can happen. Uh, Zips projected the Orioles to have like a 1% chance at the playoffs in a 60 game season, which of course feels preposterous, but we've seen weirder things happen. Uh, baseball is weird. And when you give 60 games, things are weird because think of all those times where a, a lousy team's gone on a run and they only need, then the season would be over. I, The example I usually bring up is the uh, 2014 Brewers, I believe, uh, where they got off to that huge hot start and spent the entire year losing that spot. Uh, But they don't have an entire year to lose the spot this time. So a team like that that just has a good two weeks could literally, you know, become – see their playoff odds go from, you know, 5% to 50%, like just by having like, you know, say like a a 13-4 start or something.
0: Well, yeah, I I was just going to say that. Imagine, you know – a team goes, you know, fifteen and nine. That's that's nothing special, but they just played forty percent of their season.
2: Yeah, there's, there's, there's no such thing as a hot start because the whole season's a hot, is a start. It's it's a sprint. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's, a sprint. It's, it's a very unusual thing, uh, and I think that that I'd be a little annoyed if I was one of the teams that invested heavily uh, in 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 the two thousand twenty roster because. The quality of the players is a lot less important now than it was if we had 162 games. Uh, the advantage of having Mookie Betts is a lot less now. Uh, now, mm-hmm. I'm glad we're getting a season because one, you like to have a season, and two, it would just, it would just feel cosmically unfair if the Red Sox were the big winners by trading <laughs> Mookie Betts. Yeah.
0: It's, it's yeah. like, how
2: can this be? There has to be some karmic retribution for that in the universe. They should have to watch Mookie Betts play in the World Series this year. I, I think what they should have is next Mookie Betts doesn't have a team next year. He would just be on whatever team is playing the Red Sox. <laughs> that would be, that would actually be really interesting. I, 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 I would, would like, like that. to see that. I would like to see that too. Um, and the, and the league can pay, the league can pay him $50 million just to be, you know, like a one year $50 million contract. He just plays the Red Sox. And then he hits free agency after a normal year and, and probably gets more money. I think
0: every team in major league baseball would be okay with that, except for if you were on a team that wasn't going to play the Red Sox and you would know, to get to be on, you know, get the benefit of that. But um, me and Josh Nelson last week on our show, we were talking and you said that you had spoken to
2: Josh Nelson. So I bring this up now. Yeah. We were playing call of duty too. Uh, oh, he, he, about wrote that? My, he wrote in my SUV as I ran over people. That was a <laughs> lot of fun. <laughs> Perfect. Because you see, they have a new mode in Call of Duty uh, called, I think, Warzone Rumble. And it's all snipers and people driving around in the vehicles trying to run over the snipers. Uh, <laughs> and when you run over someone in Call of Duty, uh, I don't know if, if, you, if you've ever played the 90s Madden games. Yeah. Uh, but when players were injured in Madden, the ambulance would drive on the field to, yeah. to the player. And the ambulance would drive over who was ever on the field, including the person lying on the field. Uh, The NFL actually made EA remove that. (laughs) Uh, I guess they didn't want people to get the idea that they have ambulances driving on the field to to run over people. Uh, But that, but Call of Duty, when you run over people, it's pretty satisfying. It makes a makes a squish sound, and it saves you from doing that in real life, which is really bad. Uh, Hmm. So yeah, we were, we I was playing with with Josh Nelson. uh, uh, We were. Josh and I were playing Call of Duty. See, everything comes together that we yeah, talked about in one a big, convenient full, circle. Absolutely full circle.
0: We, we start with Josh on Wednesday, and somehow we've come full circle with you on this Tuesday that will air tomorrow on Wednesday. So in a week, we've come full circle. How about that?
2: Yeah, it, it's good to have things come around and circle that quickly. Um, but
0: back to Josh, we had spoken about how we both think that the team that we could see winning the World
2: Series this year is none other than the Tampa Bay Rays. Very well that? And, the, and the thing is, uh, they're kind of a team that is built for a short sprint if they can keep their pitching healthy, because uh, they do have, you know, some really high-end pitchers at the top of their rotation. Uh, presumably, if, if Blake Snell will, will play for less than his yeah. salary. <laughs> uh, good point. Uh, but I, I, I do like the Rays, and, and it works out better for them because – the truth is, the Rays don't really make a lot of money from their fans. No, uh, like, like people say, like baseball can't exist without fans. The Marlins haven't had fans for you know 15 years, and Loria, Jeff Loria, made a billion dollars on the sale. So, it's hard say the to state say. of Florida
0: does it every year.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, he, he made like 100 million a year in team value, so it's hard to say that that baseball can't exist without fans. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And now the Rays only had to beat the Yankees, you know, for sixty games, not one hundred sixty-two, and that's you know not easy, especially because the Yankees get some of their guys back. But it's it's a lot easier to do over sixty than one hundred sixty-two.
0: And the craziest thing is, we talk about how dominant that link, that Yankees lineup is going to be.
2: That Rays lineup is going to be extremely deep as well. Yeah, they they do have excellent depth, as they're they're see they're a very competent cheap team, and so that they they have they've usually had a lot of, you know, interesting parts.
0: Very much. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dan, we cannot thank you enough for coming on with us and, uh, you know, talking with us for a little bit. We uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And we would absolutely love to have you back another time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. And uh, hopefully hopefully pretty soon we have some real baseball to talk about. And uh, we can bring you back on to talk about real baseball. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Yep. All right, guys. Those were our interviews with both Ben Clemens and Dan Zimborski. Uh, those were both brought to you by Anchor. Um, those were awesome, and we had a great time talking with both of them, and uh, we would absolutely love to have them both back on here uh, when we have some real baseball. But until then, we have a new segment for you guys today, and it's called – Bad contracts of them. Um, so we, me and Kenny both have a bad contract from around the league that um, I wouldn't say we're going to, we're going to make sure it's a little more low key than uh, your typical bad contract. Like we're not going to be doing the Chris Davis contract in Baltimore um, or Tyler or uh, Chatwood from Cubs. Uh, but something. We're gonna not going to be doing
1: more... no Miguel Cabrera or. Uh...
0: Jordan's men.
1: So yeah, we're going we're to keep okay. these pretty low-key. And yeah. then all
0: of mine a little bit less low-key. It's still low-key because the dude doesn't even play in the major leagues. So, I'll, Kenny, I, I think you'll be able to get this one. And it's probably one of the more right. famous bad contracts in the, in the recent history. Um, but Sports Illustrated did a good piece on this guy. And he was signed from Cuba. On a seven-year, seventy-two and a half million-dollar deal, which broke the record for the largest international signing of all time when he signed it in 2014.
1: This is this is one. I already know who this is. You know what team? Boston Red Sox. You are
0: absolutely all right. Let me finish because you already got it. <laughs>
1: yeah, um,
0: yep. And he signed, breaking the record for the largest international contract of all time. Came over. Um, has accumulated point one one five. Service time, which is a tenth of a season, so it means he's played around 16, 18 games in his Major League career. Um, Eventually, he was sent down, and he was removed from the 40-man roster. And the way the Major League Baseball tax worked was that if you weren't on the 40-man roster, you didn't count against your team's luxury tax. And... Yep. The Red Sox have insisted on not bringing this player up, even though he's been unbelievable at AAA Pawtucket. Or actually, I think it's Rhode I don't know, actually. I don't remember. What's, you know what Boston's AAA? Is it Pawtucket? I think it's Pawtucket, it yeah. Um, but he's been fantastic there. But he won't ever get a chance to be on the big league roster until his contract is up, because he would cost them against their luxury tax. And the players union actually came up in the last CBA and changed it where, um, once you were on the 40 man roster, even if you were taken off your contract still counted against luxury tax. Well, what happened with Castillo was that he had already been removed from the 40 man roster before this was put in place. Oh yeah. I guess I already said his name. Rosny Castillo was my bad contract today. Um, but what happened with Rosny Castillo was that because he was removed from the 40-man roster prior to when the CBA was announced and the players had installed this new format, he still is getting paid, but he doesn't count against the luxury tasks. So whole Boston Red Sox have no incentive to bring him up to the major league roster. And nobody's willing to trade for him because they don't want to assume or take on his contract. So Rosny Castillo is really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And that hard hard place is covered in a lot of shit. So it's a really lose-lose-lose situation for Castillo. It's a lose because he can't make the big leagues. It's a lose because he's playing so well that he should get promoted. And it's another lose because no one wants to trade for him, not because of his talent, but because of his contract. And so it's a really tough situation for Rosny Castillo. And uh, I do believe that he will hit uh, his last year of team control in 2020, which means he might get an opportunity to go play somewhere. Um, But, yeah, that's my bad contract. And it's really a shame that he hasn't gotten an opportunity yet with Boston.
1: Yeah, no, this was – I was going to do Rosny Castillo, so thank God I switched. But, yeah, it's just kind of a shit situation that he's in. Um, I mean, you, you hit it right in the head. The guy's been tearing it up his whole career in AAA a now so hopefully a team comes through and gives him an opportunity to play but yeah i'll get into mine so it was actually kind of funny because i was watching old bad beats on youtube just because i was missing sports so much the other day and i i texted balls like i think we got to do something like that with like bad contract or something so this is it now so uh thanks svp for uh the uh the inspiration here but yeah here we go so my guy plays for the colorado rockies um, Started his career in Washington as their everyday shortstop. In 2012, he produced a 4.2 war. 2013, a 4.3 war. 2014, a 4.1 war. In 2016, he played in Texas, produced a 3.5 war. Um, you got any ideas? So he he was in Texas in 2016, and where was he at before that? Washington. Okay.
0: Continue. so oh wait yeah continue continue continue
1: yeah he signed a five-year 70 million dollar deal so 14 million dollars uh a year he's a club option in 2022 with a 2.1 million dollar bio any other ideas
0: position what, what do we got
1: he's our left fielder i guess I oh mean, he's like i know this platoon you, you, yeah guy.
0: i know this one you can keep going i know who it is
1: yeah yeah so my guy's ian desmond yeah um Yep. So he was 31 when he signed the five-year deal in Colorado. And if we've learned anything from modern baseball with analytics is you don't sign the, you know, Colorado does stupid shit all the time. Um, yeah, but there's some puzzling parts about Ian Desmond here. Um, because he went from a good player to a terrible player just from his time in Colorado, but his advanced stats have all increased um, year to year. Um, So his hard hit percentage, um, have seen all-time highs in Colorado. Uh, Don't know how much of a factor, you know, the Colorado air plays into it. Um, But uh, 2018, he had a 31.4 hard hit percentage. 2019 to 38.8. Um, you know, his line drive percentage has been all-time highs. Uh, ground ball percentage was all career low. Um, his clutch rating has doubled um, since his time in Washington. Um, I, just as, I mean, his bat tip has increased. His uh, weighted run created loss is about the only thing that's been decreasing every year um but all the other advanced stats have been increasing but i'm 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 looking at the guy and i'm like so how is he producing um a negative .8 war in 2017 a negative .6 war in 2018 and a negative .3 war in 2019 and his home run numbers have increased he had 22 last year and 20 the year before that um but this guy's a liability in the outfield, so his defense does not help him at all. Um, you know, he was—he probably—he's a shortstop. Uh, but when Colorado has Trevor Story as a superstar shortstop, they got to find a different position for him. Um, you know, at first they were talking, "What if we move him to second base?" Um, but that didn't work out because at the time. don't remember who they had at second base but they had oh dj Lemayhu was their second baseman when he signed there yeah um first base wasn't really an option there either because i don't do not remember who their first baseman was at the time but then you got nolan arenado at third base so there's no spot to put him in the infield and at the time you had charlie blackman in the outfield um so the only other spot was to put him in the outfield, but the guy doesn't have an arm. Uh, his arm rating is a negative three, and his outfield range rating is a negative one. So this guy's a platoon guy at best, because now you got a Colorado outfield that has Dahl, black men and uh, – third guy but I mean at this point making $14 million a year Ian Desmond's a platoon guy at best will probably be the DH for um, the Rockies this year now with the universal DH but uh, you're not trying to pay a guy $14 million a year to be a platoon guy in the normal year
0: yeah I, that's that's a valid point point. and when they signed Desmond I was a little more on the optimistic side because One, he's a fantastic athlete, and so when they had ideas of playing him in the outfield, it didn't seem like it was that far of a stretch considering that he was a great athlete, and he had moved around the diamond for Washington and Texas. Um, But I think the biggest thing why his value is so down is because, one, for park adjustment, he isn't producing the way he should in Colorado. No, no. And so that's partially why he's down, but – no, I, I think Desmond
1: uh Desmond's a good play here with, with bad contract. And he was thirty one when he signed the deal too to go to Colorado. So he was already aging. Uh yeah, it's that was it was an interesting one though to, he was one of the three guys I was looking at for this week, but yeah, that was not a good sign because he I mean he really hasn't produced at all since coming to Colorado.
0: Yeah. Um, but before we finish off, I've just kind of you know, been scrolling the Twitterverse here and getting some more news before we leave. Um, it sounds like Major League Baseball has the authority to relocate some teams that might be in uh, areas that are experiencing uh, uptick in coronavirus cases. Um, that would include teams like the Astros and Rangers, um, teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, and more specifically teams like the Marlins and the Rays. Um, We don't know about a neutral site yet, but it does sound like if Commissioner Manfred wants to, he could move some of those teams uh, to neutral sites. I mean, we've seen 5,000 cases in the state of Texas just today. Um, The governor of Texas said that there's no reason to leave your homes at all. So we actually very well could see the Astros and Rangers being – relocated somewhere else and most certainly Florida because they're very much struggling
1: uh also I was scrolling through Twitter as well uh, about five minutes ago and the Blue Jays have also concerns about being able to play in Canada um the MLB has now submitted paperwork to Canada to figure it out but it sounds like the Blue Jays might be looking for a new home as well Mm -hmm. due to Um, You know, if they're playing in Toronto, you know, you get teams flying across the border into a different country. So they're a team that might be getting moved as well. Going on to this uh, NFL today, uh, they talked, they said that they're going to leave it up to the stadiums if they want to bring in fans. Do you think that's something uh, baseball should consider doing as well? Like, uh, hey, if you're well, in a state where you have super low COVID rate, you know, rates right now, you can go with what your state's saying.
0: Uh, well, State of Illinois just announced that we, they, both the White Sox and Cubs, will be allowed to hold capacities of 20% at their stadiums. Which, you know, the joke coming out of that was, oh, well, guaranteed rate stadium only, guaranteed rate stadium only filled up 20% anyway. So, but um, good job, guys. Um. But, yeah, it sounds like Illinois is going to have 20% capacity at both regularly and guaranteed rates. So that seems and,
1: like what's going to happen. you know, Milwaukee, we are one of the lowest – or Wisconsin, you know, with Milwaukee being in Wisconsin, um, we have one of the lowest COVID rates in the country right All now. Right. Hey, Can in we go back state, to that?
0: We Can or, we go back to that? Our Milwaukee yeah. is confirmed in Wisconsin?
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Wisconsin, who has one of the lowest COVID rates in the country right now.
0: Milwaukee uh, of Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, they, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they'll do if they'll let the Brewers have fans, because if the Brewers are allowed fans, you can bet your ass I'll be at those games, but that might help those, will that benefit the teams that are allowing fans and how does the, the MLB respond to that? Because there's going to be teams that can't have fans, but then you're going to have teams like the Cubs, and the White Sox, whose governors already said, yes, you guys can have 20%. Does the MLB say, no, we're not having fans? Does that put you at an unfair advantage to the other teams?
0: I don't know. I think that's up to Commissioner Manfred. All I do know is that the Tampa, Ray, Tampa Bay Rays, who are your, you know, going to be 2020 World Series champions, uh, they won Twitter today. I don't know if you saw what they put out there. Um
1: no, I didn't.
0: But the uh, the classic Jordan memo that he sent when he decided he was returning. You know? Yep. Tampa Bay Rays released a statement. It says, for immediate release, St. Petersburg, Florida, the following statement was released today by the Tampa Bay Rays to Major League Baseball and its fellow and Clubs in response to the 2020 baseball season. And then in quotations, we're back. <laughs> so they made a copy yep. of the Jordan. Go the- Rays. They made a copy of the Jordan, uh, you know, memo sheet, and they won Twitter today. So, congratulations, to Bradley Sumner on his future World Series championship.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's all that we got today. That's all she wrote, folks.
0: We got baseball. We do have baseball, and that is a beautiful – Sentence to say and to hear at the same time. So um, for Chalk Line Talk, uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday um, with our guest, Ethan Moore of Cal Poly Baseball. I'm excited to bring you guys that one. But um, Chalk Line Talk, baby.
1: We have baseball. And we will see you on opening day and 30 days from now. Adios.
3: We will see you tomorrow night. Wow, you can't.